And uh, I know today's Mother's Day and so forth, and uh, the, uh, we celebrate mothers, and we're going to do so this morning by talking about husbands. And, uh, hey, easy, easy, wow, that, it was expected, okay. We're going to talk here this uh, morning, uh, continued actually down in Ephesians 5 this morning, if you will. And honestly, there's no better way to, to uh, honor the issue of mothers and, and, uh, and so forth in the marriage than really beginning to look here at the, these next couple verses. I had thought about just taking verse 28, 29, 30, 31, 32 and cramming them all together. And then I thought better because there's so much going on in these verses the, these verses, uh, if you look here at verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever hateth, no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Usually when those verses never go to church, they never make marriage counseling, they never make premarital marriage seminars or counts, they just generally get overlooked. They start at verse 25. Usually they, you start at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that's as far as they usually go. And when you're talking about marriage counseling and you're talking about marriage seminars or premarital counseling and so forth. And I don't want to do that um, with, with these verses. I want to look at them and continue here because we've been looking at and we are looking at the issue of what a spirit-filled life looks like. And because of that, I don't want to just ignore verses here that need to be addressed and looked at. So uh, we'll look at these couple, verse 28 and 29 this morning, and then we'll catch the rest of the passage maybe next time. Because the issues here are very important. As we've just spent 2020, okay, back underneath each other's thumbs or back in each other's hair, you know, and, and so forth, and different things, and, and, and it took people who are normally apart, and it brought them together, and now in 21, it's still that same sit-up situation. Uh, I, we were talking, uh, I was reading something in the business journal about uh, offices going back, in, people going back into the office, and, and they literally say nobody wants to go back into the office. So that means there's an adjustment coming for business people. But do you know what the owners of the businesses had realized? They don't need the office. So if you own commercial property, guess what's going to happen here in about two years? You're going to be empty because that's what commercial property and real estate always lags behind everybody else at least two to three years. That's what's happening. So when that happens, then as believers, we have an adjustment to make within our relationships, and and that's what we're. I want to. That's why we're doing this. I, somebody emailed me and said, "Hey, you're picking on me. What are you picking on me for?" And I'm not picking on anybody. I'm, we're just teaching the passage here. You know what? But if it sticks, it should stick, and that's what the word does. It reproves and rebukes and corrects and instructs and so forth. But the thing of it is, is when we're looking at the issues here of the relationships. Again, we started with you. You make that choice, that issue of volition. Then we talked to the wives, spent two or three, four weeks talking to the wives. And then we talked now to the husbands and, uh, and the roles that they play. These are job descriptions. Every one of us is equal in Christ. 
No one sits higher than the other one in Christ. But what did we do? We chose to be in marriage. We chose to get married. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. Some of the looks on your face. What? All right. Wait, no, you chose to be married. And when you chose to be married, ladies, and you said, I do to this guy, guess what? Here's now the role. Here's the job description you're signing up to do. It does not change who you are. A great misnomer that that's what happens. It changes your name, by the way, your identity, but it doesn't change who you are in Christ. Gentlemen, when you looked at her and said, I got to have you, you chose to play a role. You chose to take on a job description as husband, and that's what we're looking at, okay? It doesn't change him. It doesn't make him lord over lords and... You know, hear me roar. No, it just says, as a husband, here's now what I'm going to do. As we come in verse 25, as husbands love your wives, even, notice, as Christ. You see the as. Now, we don't get the so until verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. So we're going to see something here now, starting in verse 28 and 29. And the issue now is we're going to see an illustration here. We're going to see an application of the doctrine in verse 25, 26, and 27 instilled on us. What did we learn in verse 25 and 26 and 27 about loving our wives? Well, how did Christ love the church? He gave himself. So as we begin to see this, he gave himself. And then he comes over and he says, I'm going to sanctify her, cleanse her, and present her. And the her there is the church. So we saw that, right? Thank you. As Christ did that to the church, guys, husbands, we're to do the same thing. What are we? By the way, when he gave himself, how did he give himself to, her, to the church? Piecemeal? Grudgingly? No, 100% willingly. For, Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him. He endured. He, so that's the giving there. Then you come in and he did what? Sanctify, set her apart. That's what we're to do. She's going to be your wife. She's been set apart to be a helpmeet. And you're going to purify. And you're going to come along and do that. And what begins to happen then is we begin to get into, in verse 28, there's a presentation in verse 27. We've talked about all this. Then in verse 28, he's going to say, as, you see the information, the doctrine, here's how it's going to work. So ought men to love their wives as their own selves. And he's going to illustrate this out. And he's going to, he's going to give us a picture here that's very important to see. And as we move forward here and, and we begin to talk about this and study it and look at it, there's something i got to say, Okay. When you come to Scripture and you begin to look at the issue of marriage, there's not a lot of information in Scripture about marriage. Paul deals with it here in Ephesians 5, the sister chapter, Colossians 3, and 1 Corinthians 7, and that's it. God deals with Israel in marriage in Numbers and Deuteronomy. We're going to run back and look at those, and then that's it. So you go, okay, 
then what, what, how, then, then what do we do when we want to get married? Or what are we going to talk? Well, but yet in Scripture, there's a lot of talk about what? Relationship. There's a lot of information about our relationships. Marriage is a man and a woman joined in marriage in the role of husbands and wife. And the issue in marriage is the issue of a relationship. So when we come to Scripture and we look and see what Scripture says about relationships, we're to bring that doctrine into our marriage relationship and function that way. You follow me? That's why Paul says, you see Christ and the church, it's going to look like that over there. What is the relationship between Christ and his body? That's going to be the relationship over here now in the marriage. When you look at, that, that's why we've been looking at this differently than where you paid your $1,000 for the three-day weekend marriage seminar. You notice we haven't been talking about emotions. How does that make you feel? How does that make her feel? We're talking about doctrine. We're talking about what? Relationships. The relationship issue is how that we go and we live day to day in our marriage and we bring in our identity and who we are in Christ into it. When you, I, you guys notice I don't teach a lot about marriage. <laughs> One, it's dangerous. It really is. Well, what do you mean? Wham. What do you mean? Wham. You know, and, and uh, why can't you? And, and the danger gets, well, why can't you be like Pastor Rick and what he said? You don't want to be like me. Believe me. I, <laughs> ay, ay, ay. <laughs> See? But what happens is, is when you teach and you begin to think about, their, about this, there becomes a tendency that we say we want a list of the things that marriage ought to be. In other words, I want a list of what my wife is to do, and she says, I want a list of what my husband ought to be doing. What do you do when you get a list? Is she doing it? Oh, is he doing it? Oy. Right? And with the list in hand, you know what they... You start saying, didn't do it, did it, didn't. And you know what that is called in the jargon out there? Unrealistic expectations. You're in Ephesians. Look over at Colossians 2. As believers, it should be Colossians 2.6. I don't know what's on the handout, so it should be 2.6. As believers, we are to walk this way. We are not to walk with a list in hand. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By grace through faith, didn't you? So what? Walk ye in him. So how are we supposed to walk? By grace through faith. Ephesians 2.8. See that? You see, we are supposed to have a walk of faith. If you come back there to Ephesians 2, verse 8, it's very instructive. I know we use this and, and say, hey, here, here's our, you know, gospel and blah, and so forth, and that's fine. But you read Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through what? Through faith. How are you supposed to be walking? 
by grace through faith. That's not making a list of the things to do in order to accept or be accepted by your spouse. That's not making a list to come over here and say, if you do this, then I love you. I accept you. You see, that's unrealistic. Because what's going to happen, the moment you make a list, what happens? Do they do it or do they fail? Come on. They fail, don't they? They don't do it. I have a little list for Linda. She doesn't know about it. She will now. I don't have a list for Linda. Yeah, oh, I know. I was testing to see who's going to rat me out. Yeah. No, so what do you, will he take out the garbage? Will she take out the garbage? Will he pick up his dirty clothes? Will she pick up my dirty clothes? Will she do the laundry? Will he do the laundry? Yeah, you know, back and forth. And the next thing you know, the first time you don't take out the garbage, what happens? Yeah, is right. It's an un- you know why? You, do you know why you fail? Because what are you? You're a human. You're a sinner. We're not perfect people, are we? So if we try to live up to something that we're not, what's going to happen? Failure is going to happen. So don't, please don't live with unrealistic expectations. Somebody asked me one time why Linda doesn't come on Wednesday nights, because she doesn't. And I said, that's because she takes care of three kids and she works a a 40-hour-a-week job, and I'm not requiring her to be here on Wednesday nights. She's going to retire. The kids are grown. Guess what? She's still not required to be here on Wednesday nights. Okay? Why? Because her and I, in our relationship, I made a decision. I don't require. We had a conversation. Here it is. Now, she may come on Wednesday nights. I don't know. I may put the screws to her and tell her, let's go. <laughs> if I come up limping, you'll know what happened. Okay? All right? But see, the thing is, is don't live with, we're to live in what? Grace. And you know what's wonderful about living with, as who you are in grace? Is that's living in realism, realistic expectations. Do you understand that when you live in grace and you look at your spouse, you are acknowledging that your spouse is not perfect? that she is or he is a sinner, that you understand that. I know the young couples, they just got married, everything's, you know, ooh, you know big moon eyes and can't get, you know, everything's okay. And, and, and give them six months to a year and guess what happens? Honeymoon's over. We'll read the passage in Deuteronomy that says the honeymoon's the last a year. We'll read it and I'll show it in a little bit, okay? What happens after... You know what happens after six months? They roll, you, whoa, what in the world did I do here? <laughs> who is this creature? And they're like, who are you? <laughs> you know? That's, and that passage in Deuteronomy 24, it take a year to cheer her up. I'm like, yeah, okay. I get ahead of myself, sorry. This is fun. I enjoy, you know why? Because we live by grace through what? Through faith. Do you know what grace says to you? You're a sinner. Nothing you can do. Calvary paid it all. There's nothing you can do. You're a sinner. You're not perfect. You're a loser. 
you're an enemy, you're on your way to hell, Christ died for you, and by faith you trust that. And you know what he says? You're accepted in the beloved. You're blessed with all spirit. Now you got all of this. You see, grace comes in and makes life real and develops realistic expectations because what happens is, is now when my spouse fails, guess what? I'm not shocked. One of the most deadly things in marriage outside of finances and in-laws, serious, is being shocked when the other person disappoints you. You know why? Because you've leveled an unrealistic expectation on that other and you're not living by grace. You see, when you live under grace, you know what you're saying? You know, I said, the issue is who I am in Christ. The issue is who they are in Christ. Ephesians 1 there, look at verse number 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Where is my acceptance lie? You ask nine out of ten marriages, and they will usually say their spouse. What happens when your acceptance lies in your spouse and they fail you? What happens? That big D word shows up. Divorce. Enough. I'm done. Had it. Escape. And you know what? That's not living by grace through faith. Living with realistic expectations, folks, is basically I'm not going to be shocked by what my, when my spouse fails. I need to be shockproof, if you will. Not surprised when they fail, because guess what? They are going to fail. Then the through faith part of that is that issue, but faith is the issue of dependence. Do you know what the opposite of dependence is? Misplaced dependence. <laughs> when we realistically live by grace, and, tr and with a dependency upon trusting the word of God rightly divided. There's faith, that positive response to God's word. Whereas when you have misplaced dependencies, that's to depend upon yourself or someone else. And that's where the trouble comes. And that's where you leave living under grace and you move back under living under a performance system. Because now you're depending on them doing in order for you to accept them. Rather than accepting them and who they are in Christ. Now what does that have to do with 528? It has a lot to do with 528 because now what we're going to talk about here, because he says... So ought men, what? To do something. You see that? Get back over to 528. So ought men to, here's to do something, guys. 528, what's to do? Love their wives as their own bodies. There's going to be an application here of the doctrine. There's going to be an application of the of the information in verse 25, 26, and 27, where we're going to give ourselves to her. 
to the marriage relationship. We're going to sanctify it. We're going to cleanse it. We're going to present it. We're going to, ha- we're going to have this purifying love, this married love. We talked about it, that self-sacrificing, caring commitment that seeks the highest and best good of the one we love. That's Christ in loving the church, seeking its best and highest condition. You see, we're going to have a little list here, if you will. Not really, but that's what can happen. Because now Paul's going to take all of that information and he's going to say, okay, guys, here's what you ought to be doing. And when you don't do this, you are not fulfilling the word of God to you as a husband and the role of a husband. Again, we're in the roles. We're not talking about you losing anything. You decided to take on the husband. If you're not doing now ladies, that doesn't mean you're not doing it, so you lose. You have no place in there to do that. You have no right to do that. We're to live by what? Grace through faith. Paul can do it. The word of God. Do you follow me? How do you love her? Well, how do you love yourself? How do you love yourself? Well, that's how you're going to love her. Why? Because she's your body. How did Christ love the church? How did Christ love his body? Gave himself, sanctified it, cleansed it, did all this stuff to it. That's how you are to walk in love with your wife. See, this got serious real quick here. Verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Now, again, those two verses, I have read books of marriage and love and respect. Seven principles to a happy marriage. How to be happy though married. How to do this. How to do... You guys didn't catch that one, okay? How to do this. Actually, before Linda and I went on our two weeks to Chicago, I got a, a new book in the, in the Amazon. The box showed up. And she's like, what are you going to do with that? I said, you're going to read it and tell me where I need to be right and wrong. <laughs> you're going to... But she didn't. And I didn't take it sitting there to be looked at. And you know what? Every time they come and deal with this passage, they skip these two verses. It's fascinating to me. Because the as and the so, that that simile, as Christ did it, so ought men. But we didn't get the so in verse 25. We we got it in verse 28. (laughs) So they missed that. But notice something here very carefully. When he talks here about so ought men to love their their wives as their own bodies, Verse 29, for no man ever hateth his own flesh. He's talking about physical bodies, flesh. So guys, how the way you love your physical body explains to you how you're going to love your wife. Okay? Paul is not talking about, now listen to me, because this is the psychobabble of the day. All right? He's not talking about love yourself so you can go love your wife. That's human viewpoint. That's psychobabble. 
That's nonsense. That's so they can charge you 150 bucks an hour to sit on their couch or the couple's meetings or whatever and try to help you. What does the Word of God say? That's the issue. How do you love yourself? That's how you're going to love your wife. Naturally, what do we, we already love ourselves, don't we? So when they say you need to learn to love yourself so you can love her, that's just stupidity because you naturally already love yourself, don't you? You guys with me? You do. See? You naturally come along and take care of it. Dress it up. Thank you for that this morning. You got up this morning, went into the shower or the tub or whatever, and you did what? little rub-a-dub-dub, and, and you got dressed. You naturally do that. After three or four days of no shower, you know what happens? You stink. If you don't believe me, come hunting with us. It's time for a shower. See? What happens? You take care of it. You fix it up. You protect it. You feed it. Some of us more than others. You, you, you do that. And you do that naturally. That's why this is an epic passage here. <laughs> and you thought we were, you know, some magical, you know, H plus W equals M. And our H plus W equals bliss. This is common sense. Read those verses. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Look at that. This is a tremendous passage on the husband's responsibility to take care of his wife's body, of her flesh, not to hurt it, not to abuse it. He's, Paul is speaking directly to the common practice of physical and mental abuse of women. That's what he's talking about. Because sometimes guys get this, I'm the macho dude, macho, macho man. And, I, and you know what it results in? Something that you do not do to your own body. It happens sometimes. And you know what Paul's saying? Knock it off. It's clear here that you are to treat her the, the same way physically that you're going to treat yourself. Let me ask you something. Do you go around giving yourself a black eye? Physically or, or mentally? You don't do that. When you get behind a guy going slow on the freeway, you get mad, don't you? But you don't pull up next to him and start pounding on him. I hope not, <laughs> I should say. No, you just run in front of him and then slam on the brakes, don't you? Well, I'll teach him. <laughs> But really, all you're manifesting is, how, is what you think about yourself. You, guys, you don't curse yourself out, do you? Then what are you doing cursing her out? You don't do that. The verses say, so ought men to love their own wives as their own body. Why in the world would you do such a thing to her when you don't do it to yourself? 
You know what you do? You take care of yourself, don't you? The bottom line in this is you are to be serious about the welfare of your wife as you are about your own welfare. Can I say it like that? Do you, do you feel me? <laughs> do you hear me? Do you see what's happening here? When you, you are looking, when you are looking out for her, the same way that you are looking out for yourself, then and only then are you functioning in the role of a husband as God would have you function. Think about that. The great illustration of this is tennis. I use it in the premarital stuff. In tennis, there's only really one, there's only one, two ways to play tennis. One is singles, and the other is doubles. I know they probably have a quad somewhere. You know, these stupid people can't leave it alone. But in tennis, what is it? It's one, isn't it? I win, I lose. It's all on me. I got to cover all the baselines. I got to cover baseline, sidelines, net. I got to get it all, don't I? It's all on me. But then, I'm, now I'm playing my opposition. But my opposition and I, we get together and say, hey, you want to join a team? Would you like to get married? And she says, no. What are you doing? No. She says, yes. And you go, and now you become not singles, but what? Doubles. Now you become a team. Now, if I win, she wins. If I lose, she... Now it's together. It's both of us. Verse 31 there, he says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. We're two people. We're two individuals. We're two... Where one's red and one's blue, but what have we made? Purple. Now we're what? Team purple. So guess what's at our house? A lot of purple. Not too much red and blue anymore. See? You can't, by the way, you know in purple, you can't take purple and pull red out. It is red and blue, right? Okay. Nobody said no. So I'm colorblind, so it all looks black and white to me. But anyway. See, you can't pull red out of purple anymore. By the way, if you get a divorce and you go do something else, guess what color you are? Purple. You're still purple. doesn't mean you've got to stay. I'm talking about your color has changed. It's interesting facts. Interesting things here. Gentlemen, our responsibility as husbands is to love her the same way that we love ourselves. And looking at you, you love yourselves pretty good. It's natural. Now watch verse 29. For no man ever hateth his own flesh. Read that carefully. For no man ever hateth his own flesh. You know what they say? They say, well, because they hate themselves, they do this. They, they're starving themselves because they don't like themselves. 
right? You've heard that. They hate themselves, you know, and you know what that, you know what that verse right there says? You don't hate yourself. You love yourself. Even when you're over here pitching a fit and going to starve yourself out, you literally love yourself. Verse 29, For no man ever hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Even when you hear someone say, well, they're protesting because da-da-da-da, they're literally self-loving themselves. Listen to me. The root of all those things is really not self-hate. It's self-love. It's Genesis 3 on display. It's a desire to get attention most of the time. Most of the time when you see someone say and do stuff and you go, man, they really must hate themselves. It isn't that. They actually love themselves so much that they're doing stupid things so that they can get what? Attention. They can, they can, or they can shift the blame. Genesis 3. It's the woman. She made me do it. It's the devil. He made me do it. It's shifting the blame so that they don't have to be what? Accountable. When things happen, when things are going on, you got to back up and wait a minute here. <laughs> What's really at play here, the inner recesses of you, it isn't a self-hate, it's actually a self-love. Because I don't want to be accountable for what I have done. So I'm shifting it. So I'll come over here and I'll act like this so that I can get them to do. You want the answer? You've got to look to God's word. Don't shift the blame. Your spouse is going to fail you. Understand why. Sin. You kill that little middle letter of sin and pride. I. You know that. You deal with that guy. And you'll deal with almost every problem that comes along. When trouble comes up and you look at your spouse, don't be shocked by the failure, but rather identify for what it really is. It's sin. And you know what the answer is? Calvary. Grace. You with you what's happening here? Verse 29. Nourisheth it and cherisheth it. Uh-oh. <laughs> nourisheth it. Some of us are a little more nourished than others. Come over to 1 Timothy 5. Here's the issue, guys. What are you going to do? You're going to love your wife as your own body. You're going to cherish, you're going to nourisheth it and cherish it. You're going to nourish her. 1 Timothy 5, verse number 8. But if any, man, if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Paul's not talking, he's talking about taking care of, of your spouse. House here, children as well as you have it. Number one, though, is your wife. You're to provide for her. You're to feed her. You're to take care of her. Come back to Exodus 21. Paul's clear. He's talking about physically providing for her. Uh, on your way to uh, Exodus, look at 1 Corinthians 7. Great instruction, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 7. 
1 Corinthians 7, we, we looked there when we started this about uh, verse 35 there, and this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. If you're single, you have no distractions. You know why? Look at verse 33. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may, what? Please his wife. Take care of her. What's pleasing to her? What, what are you going to do? You're going to do what? You're going to nourish her. Look at Exodus 21. Here's the law. Here's the rule of the law. Here's the law of God instruction here on marriage. 21.10. 21.10. If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. What's, you get married, what are you going to do to her? You're going to feed her, you're going to clothe her, and you're going to take care of her duty. The duty there is the dowry. It's taking care of her. It's providing for her. I know Paul says, food and raiment, be content until you talk to your wife. And then we got to have a house and a car and a pool and a place for the kids to play and then to be in the best neighborhoods. He didn't say all that, did he? No, but what's going to please her? You're, now you're thinking about who? Her. That's the issue, see? You're thinking about, hey, She's my wife. Come over to Deuteronomy 24. Here, here's that one I was talking about earlier. Deuteronomy 24. You see, you're, you're thinking about taking her and, 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 and making her, she's, the, she's your primary focus. What was, how was Christ with the church? We're his fine primary focus, are we not? She's your primary focus. Now, ladies, that doesn't mean you've got to say, I've got to have the black charge card. You know, an American Express or this or that. I mean, come on. He's not talking about that. But what is required to take care of her? Why? Because guess what? You're going to naturally do the same thing for yourself. Are you not? You're to do it for her too. Look at Deuteronomy 24. Look at verse 5. When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war. Isn't that interesting? If you're in Israel and you get married, guess what you're not going to do? You ain't going to go to war. He shall, neither shall he be charged with any business. But he shall be free at home. What? One, think about that. Not char, you're not working. You're not going to war. You're not soldiering. You're what? You're at home for one year. Why? And shall cheer up his wife which he hath taken. <laughs> cheer her up. Now you think about that. How long's the honeymoon? One year. What are we doing? We're cheering her up. Why does she need to be cheered up? She married you, you goober. Gee whiz. Think about that. She just left mom and dad, didn't she? She just left her own single dependent life to marry you to now become dependent upon you. Life is going to be different now, isn't it? Come back to Ephesians 5. Yeah, it is. And you together now have to establish, are to establish a new life, a new identity. 
And our focus, is, gentlemen, is to cheer her up, bring her into some joyful, happy cheerfulness. And that's only going to be accomplished when you're going to cherish her, her. Nourish, you're going to feed her. But then you're going to cherish her. Uh, come over to Colossians 2, just real quick. Think, that thing about nourish. You see, guys, you have to bring her to a place where she can surrender herself joyfully, be excited about being your wife. In Genesis back there, he says, and he called their name Adam. There's Mrs. Adam. She's mine. In my case, there's Mrs. Jordan. She's mine. Now, she may go, yeah, or she may go, yeah, I'm Mrs. Jordan now. And that's what we're after. Nourish, nourish. Colossians 2, look at verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward and voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, instructing, I'm sorry, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head. Now, notice the head is a capital H. So the problem at Colossae was they were not holding the Lord Jesus Christ as who he was, the head of the church, okay? From which, now watch, all the body by joints and bands having what? Nourishment ministered and knit together, increased with the increase of God. The head's job... The, by the way, who's the head of the, of the marriage? Husbands are. It's your responsibility, gentlemen, to see that she is fed, come back to Ephesians, spiritually. Her growth, her maturity, her purifying, that, that cleansing issue we've been talking about, it's your job to feed her. Now, look in Ephesians 6 here, and look at verse 4. We get down here to the dads, to the parenting. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in what? In the what? Nurture and admonition. Why? Feed them to do what? Provide growth. And in 529, guess what we're to do, gentlemen? We're to be feeding her. Yeah, but Rick, I'm just not the Bible study type. I don't even know where to... That's, it doesn't say have a Bible study with her. It says what? Feed her. Bring her. Put her in positions where she can be fed then. Do you follow that? It's not talking about having a Bible study seven days a week for 30 minutes before dinner. Dinner gets cold. Let's eat. Let's go to church. Let's go to Bible study. Let's do this. Let's do that. Be that spiritual head and movement in the, in the marriage. By the way, ladies, you know what that means? You're going to have to let him do it. You're going to have to, verse 22, submit yourself. Let him influence you. Let him do. Then he says, cherisheth it. The idea of cherish is, is the idea of treasure. Value and esteem. Literally, when you look this word up, it means to warm her with your body. Give her a big hug. Every now and then, you know what she just needs? A hug. 
A hug that says, you're mine. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to provide for you. Every now and then, I'll look at Linda, and I'll know what does she need. She needs a hug. So I hug her, and then I whisper in her ear, when's dinner? Right? <laughs> I do, I've done that, and I've walked away with the limp. But you just get a hug. She just, sometimes she just needs a hug. She doesn't need anything else but you to just come up and wrap your big old arms around her and hold her. That's our job, husbands. That's our job description. And if you don't give that to her, then you're failing to function as Christ functions for the church. You're failing to function. Ladies, you need to remember he will fail. We've been talking, again, husbands about treasuring your spouse and doing and doing. And you know what? He's, he's going to drop it. And you're going to have to be okay with it. And you're going to have to deal with him in grace. And say, hey, you failed. But not in a, you did it, but in a, hey, we get back on track here. Now, the end of verse 28, I left this for the last. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. All of us, husbands and wives, need to appreciate who we are in Christ. We need to look at our spouses the same way then. We need to look at our children the same way, by the way. Because, you know, those that live the closest to you, i.e. your home, they know the real dirt on you, children and spouses. They know who you really are. I, had a, I was in a meeting one time. Dad was leading it. He was teaching, and he made a mention about, you know, some, not all of you are, you know, who here has never told a lie? And this guy raised his hand. And his wife out loud, you liar, you lie all the time. <laughs> Why? Because she knows. So let's live out of the identity of who we are in Christ. Not out of the identity of all this other stuff that we hear. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Why? Because she's yours. My wife is mine. She's my body. I said it last week about that wallpaper. That wallpaper takes that form of the wall. You don't lose your identity in Christ. You've taken on a job, a role. And in that role, in all the areas of our life, we're to put on display his life as we do those roles. Follow that? I hope so. Don't skip these two verses. Okay? Now, the next three verses talk about, did I pick the right one? And that's always a great question. So we'll talk about that, okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for everything that we have in your Son, for all that we are. We thank you for your Word and for the time that we can spend in it and for the opportunity to study it together. And we pray that it would, that it would be instructive in our hearts so that we in our living in our daily lives can live out your grace and your love in every detail. In your name we pray, amen.